right, I hear the laughter. You know, we're back with chainsaws and teddy bears. We're ready to go. It is good to see you guys. Is it good to be here? It's good to have you here. So let me just say welcome to those of you, the Thursday 8 o'clock service. And we are also, this is the service we're recording, so let me say welcome to those of you who are joining us now Sunday morning to worship in your homes. We're so glad that all of you are with us tonight. And uh, we are in a series on love and what love looks like. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are now in the third week in this series. If it's perhaps you're joining us for the first time, maybe you came as a guest tonight. I'm, I'm wearing the kind of green shirt that you can identify someone who can help you with. Don't just find anybody in a green shirt. I'm, some, I'm sure some of you wearing green shirts got panicky when George said anyone in a green shirt can help you. So maybe a green shirt like this, look for one of these and we can help you. If you're new, we'd love to answer any questions you have. But we're so glad that you are here with us this evening. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 throughout the summer and really just take it phrase by phrase. And I have got a friend, where's my friend Braden, who's going to come join me. Braden, come on up, y'all. Welcome Braden with me. Come on up, buddy. You come to this side right over here for me. And Brayden and I are going to play a little game. And kids, you can play along with us. And friends at home, you can play along with us. So we're going to play a game, Brayden, that is called Baby or Adult. All right? That's the name of the game, Baby or Adult. So I'm going to show Brayden some pictures. And Brayden, your only job is to speak into the microphone and tell me if this is a baby or adult. Fair enough? All right, cool. Do you think you can do it? Yes, I believe you can. All right, Brayden, we got some feet there. Baby or adult. What do you think? Well done. Is he right? He's right. All right, good job. All right, another set of feet. Are we going baby or adult on these? Adult, adult good job. You are two for two, friend. All right, I have, there's a pattern here you'll notice as we go. All right, what do you think? We got a little hand there, baby or adult? Baby. Baby, good job. You're thinking this game is beneath me. It is too simple. All right, another set of hands, baby or adult? Adult, good job. All right, last two pictures right here. What do you got? Somebody should say "aw" to that. Those are those, that's a cute set of eyes. Baby or adult? Baby. Baby. Well done. And the last one. Adult. Good job. You went six for six. Everybody, give Brayden a round of applause. All right. Now we're not quite done. We're not quite done. Because here is my question for you: How did you know, Brayden, which ones were a baby and which ones were an adult? There you go. Okay, the babies were smaller. That's a great answer. And probably there were some other indicators, but you can tell the difference physically between a baby and an adult. Am I right? Fantastic. Now here's my last question. This is where the chainsaw comes in, in handy. I'm not gonna start this on the stage. Which one of these, Braden, would you give to a baby and which one would you give to an adult? Please get the answer right to this question. Would <laughs> Yes, absolutely. All right, he's nailed it, everybody. Give him a round of applause. You can go back and sit down, Braden. Thank you, buddy. You can just take it with you. I'll get it from you later. So as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, friends, here's what Braden just reminded us of, all right? He did an excellent job identifying baby or adult. And in the same way that there are physical markers that demonstrate whether someone is a baby or an adult, there are also spiritual markers that indicate whether someone is spiritually young perhaps we might say like a, like a baby, or whether they are spiritually mature, like an adult. And if you remember in the first sermon on this series, what we saw is that Paul is trying to say to the Corinthians, you think that you are adults spiritually because you've had all these 
powerful spiritual experiences, because you have a lot of knowledge, because you have uh, even been very sacrificial with your time and your talents, perhaps even your money. And he says, and all those things are good, but none of them are what make you spiritually an adult. What makes you spiritually an adult is when you have a life that's full of love for one another. When you are filled with love, that's when you're an adult. That's when you are mature in Christ. That's the message of all of 1 Corinthians 13. And then the beautiful part is that Paul doesn't just leave us there and say, hey, so if you want to be mature, you better learn how to love. He then goes on in the next uh, verses 4 through 8 to describe for us what that love looks like. So that we're not stuck just going, well, i got to love if I want to be mature, but I have no idea what that really means. He gives us descriptors of what love is. So we've really come tonight, friends, to feast on God's word, yes? To feast on God's word so that we might learn what it is to be mature. Could I say it another way? If you haven't learned to love, if you don't grow in this kind of love demonstrated here in 1 Corinthians 13, you're still a small child in Christ. No matter how long you've walked with him, no matter how long you've called yourself by the name Christian, if you are not filled with the love that is described in this passage, Paul says you're still young in Christ. And he wants you to grow to be mature in him. That's our aim. That's my aim as your pastor, to help you grow into maturity and therefore to help you grow in love. Now I use the chainsaw and the teddy bear as an example because friends, here's the reality. Sometimes in the church, sometimes in Christian circles, we make the mistake of thinking maturity is things that it's not, like the Corinthians were doing here, thinking that certain spiritual experiences were maturity or certain amounts of knowledge were markers of maturity. And those are good things, but they're not maturity. You can have those things and not be mature. That's why he says, if I have all those things but don't have love, I have nothing. I gain nothing. My friends, we want to learn to be chainsaw Christians, okay? The types of Christians that we can hand a spiritual chainsaw to, an authority to, empower to. And here's the thing. Sometimes we hand spiritual chainsaws to people who aren't ready to handle the chainsaw. What happens is really dangerous at that moment. Would it be dangerous if I gave a five-year-old a chainsaw? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, that's right, bud. Yeah, when you give a, a baby a chainsaw, it's a problem, right? You give chainsaws to adults. And when we, want, when we grow to maturity, we become the kind of Christians who can handle the authority that God wants to give to us. So I want you to walk in that. So perhaps throughout the series, you can keep in mind, maybe it works for the guys better than the ladies, I don't know, but I get pretty excited to think about handling chainsaws. All right, so here's what we've learned then. We're not mature in Christ until we're full of love. And then we've got these descriptors of love. And last week, Ryan, Keith, did such a great job, if you joined us online, of reminding us that the first thing we're told in this text is that love is patient. Anybody get challenged by that last week? Love is patient, right? Love is patient, love is patient, love is patient. And now we come to the next descriptor of love. Love is kind. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Love is kind. And Ryan reminded us of this last week. We're not here to do an examination just of kindness. We're here to do an examination of what it looks like to have love that is full of kindness. And there is a distinction between those two things. Love that is full of kindness. Because what we want to understand is what it really means to love. And so we need to look at how God loves us in order to understand that. Now let me make a couple of observations here from the text. If you've got your Bibles open, like I said, to 1 Corinthians 13, let's read the first four verses together and make a couple of observations. So here we go. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. All right, let's stop right there. Let me make a couple observations for you from this text about what Paul means, or some things we can learn about what Paul means when he says love is kind. The first is the first thing I want you to notice that you wouldn't necessarily know just by reading this, but once when Paul talks about love, he's talking in, about it as a noun. It's a thing, right? We know a noun is a person, a place, or a thing. And then when he goes on to describe what that love is like with every other term that we will see in this entire chapter, we might expect him to use adjectives, like love is kind, could be an adjective. But do you know he's not using adjectives? Do, when you want to guess what he's using? He's using verbs to describe what love is. In other words, he's saying by his use of verbs, I expect you to understand everything that I'm about to describe to you as being what love is, as an action that you will take. Does that make sense? I expect this to be active. I dated myself a little bit in the first service. I'll do it again here. Is anybody old enough to remember DC Talk? Yes, absolutely. Love Love is a verb. This is like bad Christian rap from the early 90s, all right? But love is a verb, go YouTube it tonight, you'll enjoy that, all right? That's my gift to you this evening. Love is a verb by DC Talk, right? So I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking that's exactly what he's getting at. He's trying to help us understand that these are actions he wants us to take. Now the second thing I want you to see in this text is not just that he's pointing out that these are supposed to be, that love is active and that it's actions, is that he's doing something here by pairing patience and kindness. Now everything that we're gonna get for the, you know, for the, foreseeable future here as we go through this text is going to be what love is not. Love it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast and it, it isn't proud or rude. It's not easily irritable, right? We're going to get all these things that love does not do. But he begins with love is patient and kind and by virtue of the fact that he then shifts gears and starts telling us what love is not, he's trying to show us that he's segmenting off patience and kindness and putting them together so that we might understand that we can't understand one without the other because they're really two sides of the same coin. Here's what I mean by that. When we think about patience, what we're thinking about is the passive demonstration of God's love. Now let me explain what I mean by that. When I say the passive demonstration of God's love, God's patience is the fact that the second you and I sin, do we deserve the wrath of God for that sin? Do we deserve it? The answer is yes, but because of Christ, we don't receive it. And often we don't even receive the discipline from God that he could rightly pour out on us in that moment. Not his wrath, but his loving discipline, which he could pour out on us. He will withhold it in what? In patience. Patience is God withholding that from us and waiting so that, as the scriptures say, for those who are not yet in Christ, he says, God is patient with you, desiring that you would come to repentance, not desiring to pour judgment out upon you for your sin, but desiring that you would come and receive shelter in Christ Jesus, who will shelter you from the wrath of God if you would call upon his name so that you might be forgiven, restored, redeemed, so that when God comes as judge, that judgment falls upon Christ and not upon you. God is patient. So he's withholding, holding back. Now the opposite side of that coin is his kindness. Because if his patience is his withholding of that, his pulling back and waiting, then his kindness is his active pouring out of blessing upon his kids. 
It's him saying, I love and adore you and I'm gonna pour goodness and kindness and favor out upon you. Every blessing in your life, whether small or great, is a demonstration of the kindness of God. Do you know that? Everyone, God's love is so full of kindness that he is demonstrating that to you. And that's what Paul is trying to help us see here by pairing patience and kindness. Okay, you with me so far? All right, good. It's okay, you're not a video anymore. You can talk to me. All right, this is awesome. This is my favorite thing. All right, so patience and kindness together. That's what he's getting at there. Now, this thing keeps slipping down. I should have picked a different one. All right, so here's the next thing that we need to see. The next question we have to ask ourselves is, okay, that's great. Some observations about what it means that love is kind. But how does my, how does my love become kind the way God's love is kind. Now the scripture helps us here in numerous ways and the first way that it does that is by giving us all kinds of commands related to, to kindness as a demonstration of love. Let me, let me share a few with you, okay? So like in Joshua chapter two, verse 12, Rahab, if you remember this story, she hides the Israelite spies who come into the land and in chapter two, verse 12 of Joshua, she's described as being kind for having done that. So in other words, protecting someone is kindness a demonstration of love as kindness. Or in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, your kindness, your love overflowing as kindness should result in forgiveness. So when we forgive each other, we're demonstrating what, church? Kindness, love expressed as kindness. And then the last one I'll share with you, 2 Timothy chapter two, verse 24, challenges me to no end. Paul essentially says, you should, you should have love that is expressed as kindness and therefore you should not be quarrelsome. How many of you during the midst of uh, COVID-19 and being in your homes a little more than you used to felt a little more quarrelsome than you've been in the past, right? He says, that's not how kindness is. Kindness is, is not quarrelsome. It doesn't look to pick a fight. In fact, it looks to forgive. It looks to be patient like we just saw, right? So kindness, right? Kindness, so that, those are good things, and all that is really good. But let me, let me help you see something here. Because the question that I asked is not, hey, what are the demonstrations of kindness or love expressed as kindness in the scriptures that we can then like look to and follow their example? Because that's good to follow their example. But do you recognize that sometimes those things don't actually pierce your heart? How do you become truly kind? I mean, how do you have a love that's so saturated with kindness that you can call yourself mature, that you can say, I'm actually growing to maturity in Christ. Do you know how that happens? It only happens when your heart is completely pierced by the reality of the kindness that God has poured out upon you. When you understand the love that God has poured out upon you in kindness, you'll become kind. That's how it happens. The heart has to be pricked. It has to be stunned. It has to be rended, I should say pulled this way and pulled that way until you see exactly what you have. So that's what I want to show you tonight. Can I show you the greatest demonstration of the love of God in kindness towards you is of course the cross of his son Jesus and the resurrection that followed and even a couple of other things. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter two, if you would, because we're going we're gonna to unpack 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse four by understanding this one text Ephesians chapter two, verses four through seven. Turn there with me. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we'll have it on the screen. And we'd love to give you a Bible as a gift too if you don't have one of your own. So let me read this to you. 
Here's what Ephesians 2, 4 to 7 says. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Okay, what's the key word there? What did we just hear? The great what? Love. All right, so we're talking about his love, right? What is God's love like? Now go to verse 5. Because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's the first thing he did in that love, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now here's the second thing he did. And raised us up with him, and here's the third, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we've seen three things now there that are the demonstration of his love. Well, what does that have to do with kindness? Let's go to verse seven. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in what, church? In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All right, let me just walk us through that and show you what Paul just told us in Ephesians chapter two. Here's what he said, verse four, God's love for you, follower of Jesus, is immense. It is stunningly big. You cannot fathom how grand and how great it is. Now let me show you more. In verse five, he made us, because of that love, alive together with Christ. He's referring to the resurrection of Jesus and then when he was resurrected, you and I were resurrected if we're in Christ Jesus. We'll come to that one and talk about it more. Then verse six, the second thing and the third thing he says, not only did that love cause us to be made alive together with Christ, it also caused us to be raised up with Christ and then seated with him in the heavenly places. So those three things, made alive together with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I want you to understand those three things because then he goes on to say, verse seven, these are his great acts of love, which is a demonstration of kindness to us, which he has done to get glory for himself, immeasurable glory throughout all of history so that there would be something for people to look at and go, that's the God that exists in heaven. The one who causes people to become alive, raises them, and seats them with Christ. Now, we're going to spend just a few moments on each of those things. Here's the key thing I want you to see. that The best word in that entire text that I just read to you is the word with. Everybody say with. Do you know why that word is so good? Because, because of what it tells us. This is not... Paul giving us some kind of nice spiritual ideas so that we feel comforted and get warm fuzzies. He's saying that it is such a reality for you if you are in Christ Jesus. You are so unified with him that his resurrection is your resurrection. His ascension is your ascension. And his, here's the word theologians use, session is your session, and session just means this, his authority, his ruling and reigning. So when Paul says he made us alive together with Christ, he's saying he was raised, and now you, you, you who are in Christ Jesus have been raised out of death and into life. When he ascended into heaven, guess who else ascended into heaven? You have ascended into heaven. The reality of your existence is that you have ascended with Christ. 
And then finally, the reality of your existence is that you are now, currently, not just future, currently seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, I wanna, I wanna describe each of those three things because we won't learn to be kind with our love filled with kindness until we understand that his love filled with kindness did these things for us. And that's what our love filled with kindness has to look like. Are you with me? All right, awesome. So that word with, union with Christ. Can I just remind you of this? Christian, the thing that defines you is that you are in Christ Jesus. Your union with him is what Paul is talking about. Nothing else defines you like this defines you. God has given you many good markers of your identity. He has made you male or female. He delights that he has made you so. He has made you black or white or Hispanic, some ethnicity, whatever it is, he delights that he has made you so. It is good. He is glad that he has made you as he has made you. And yet none of those things identify you as this identifies you. Above all other things, you are in Christ Jesus. He is the one who says who you are. And nothing else matters as much as that other things are good. They are not the primary definer of you. You are a Christian if you're in Christ Jesus, in union with Christ in his resurrection, his ascension, and his ruling and reigning. And that is who you are. And in his kindness, he has made it so. Now, Let's look at each one of these things. Like I said, just briefly, each one of these could be a sermon to themselves, but we're just gonna touch on them. So the first thing that we see, his love overflowing in kindness made us alive together with Christ, which, is, which means that he is so kind in his love that he has given us participation in Christ's resurrection so that our dead souls were raised to life just as he was raised to life. So what's the result of that? Let's really think about that. What is the result of the fact that you were dead and because he was raised, because he was brought to life, you have been brought to life? Well, the result of that is a new tenderness and a new sensitivity and a new awareness of the reality of things and people, a new tenderness to people around you, a new tenderness to the things of God, a new sensitivity to and awareness of all the things that God is up to and doing in the world. Let me ask you a question. Let's just use this as an example, right? What is the difference between poking a a rock with a stick and poking a rabbit with a stick? What's the difference? What happens if I poke a rock with a stick? Exactly. Why not? Because a rock is an inanimate object. It's not alive, right? I guess it's not really dead. It was never alive, so I don't know that it's dead, but it's not alive. If I poke a rabbit with a stick, if I even try and get close to a rabbit with a stick, what happens? Yeah, the rabbit moves. It reacts. It engages. Why? Because alive things are sensitive and they react and they are tender to the circumstances around them. And what God is saying here to you in his word is that I have made you alive, truly alive in your soul where you were once dead and now there's a new tenderness that results in you. So his kindness has produced tenderness in you. That's the first thing. Hold on to that because we're gonna come back to it when we sort of examine what does it mean for my love to be full of kindness. I'm gonna give you a few thoughts about that. So the first is a new tenderness because we are with him in his resurrection. Now the second thing, that we're told is that God raised us with Christ. 
He raised us with Christ. And he's referring there, as I said, to Christ's ascension. Literally, his being taken up into heaven, which is not a part of the gospel we think a lot about all the time, but Paul is making a pretty big deal of it here. And here's what he's saying. He is so kind in his love for us that he gave us participation in Christ's ascension so that our true identity would not be the incompletely sanctified person that you see standing here right now or that is sitting right there right now. Your true identity, Colossians chapter three, verse three says, is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, what he's saying is when God looks at you, he doesn't see the incompletely sanctified person who's sitting here right now. Do you know what he sees? He sees the perfectly sanctified person that is already hidden with Christ in God in the heavenlies because you have ascended with Christ. You have a new identity. And and that's not just a nice idea. That's a reality, a heavenly reality that the scriptures speak to. So that's that's nice to think about. Do you know what the result of that is? You know the the true result of the fact that we've ascended with Christ? The true result is is we have a a taste for heavenly things now and no longer a taste for earthly things. Now you may still be feeding on earthly things and therefore you're keeping that taste for the junk food, but the true reality of who you are is that your identity is now hidden with Christ in God in the heavenlies. That's who you are and if that's who you are, then it means your true taste is for heavenly things, not for earthly things. You have a taste for the heavenly. You just have to start feeding on it. And as you feed on it, you'll find that you love it. Let me give you an example of like, learn, you know, like not having a taste for something. When I was 21, I went to Nigeria and spent a little less than a month there. Uh, it was a one, wonderful experience. Love the country of Nigeria. They have a food staple there called fufu. Has anyone ever eaten fufu? All right, yes, Dan Lundblad has eaten fufu. Fantastic. Dan, question for you. Did you like fufu? No, I didn't either. <laughs> this is what I found. Fufu is pounded yam. That's what it is. And it's this doughy kind of almost gelatinous sort of like thing that you pull apart. It looks like mashed potatoes, doesn't taste like mashed potatoes, I can tell you that, right? I just did not enjoy fufu. But Nigerians eat fufu like it's going out of style. And they love it. It's like a treat to have fufu every day. And I just could not stomach one more taste of fufu. Why? Because I'm not from there. I didn't grow up in Nigeria. I don't, I don't like fufu because I, I, I never, I have no identity that connects me to Nigeria. I'm a visitor there. But here's the thing. You're not a visitor in the heavenlies. You're not a visitor there. You, your true home is there. And your true identity is already there because of the finished work of Christ. Because of what he's done. Which means you have a new taste, a new tenderness, because he made you alive when he became alive. And a new taste for heavenly things because he has ascended and he's brought you with him. Now let's talk about the last one. Here's the last one. The last one is perhaps, if the first two weren't astounding enough, can I please argue that you should absolutely have your hair blown back by what I'm about to tell you, all right? He not only raised us with Christ, he also seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Now look, whenever the scriptures talk about Christ being seated, there's two things that it's trying to communicate to you. Two things. One is that his work is finished. It's complete. There is nothing 
else that will ever need to be added to the finished work of Jesus. Please somebody say amen to that. Do you know that that's why you can be confident that you're not gonna get to heaven? And he's gonna go, oh yeah, you know, I did a lot of it for you, but there were a couple things that you left unchecked. There were boxes that you didn't check. There was more that you needed to do. There is nothing more that you need to do because Christ is seated. You with me? That's the first thing. The second thing, whenever the scriptures talk about him being seated, is what do you think he's seated on? A throne. And who sits on a throne? A king with power and authority. Now you should be astounded because here's what you just heard in Ephesians chapter two, verse six. Not only did he cause you to be alive when he became alive, raise your dead soul, dead as a stone, cold, unable to love God, love neighbor, unable to love anything or be tender to anything. And he made you alive. Not only did he do that, he also said, I'm gonna go into the heavenlies, I'm gonna take you with me. And you're gonna have a new identity that's gonna be defined by this new place that is your new home. Not only did he do that, then what did he do? He said, by the way, come and sit and share my authority with me. Come and rule and reign with me. It's absolutely stunning. I told you theologians call this his session, like his power, his authority, his rule and reign over all things. And he says, I'm gonna seat you with me in the heavenly places. In other words, what he's saying is you've been given, here's the result of that, you've been given a new power. And it is a power, friends, it is a power to discern what's true and it's a, pow- it's a power not to just discern what is true, but it's a power over sin to conquer, to conquer it. He has conquered sin, and now you are not subject to sin, and you have been seated with him in the heavenly places, which means that you should not walk around wringing your hands as if that besetting sin in your life is too difficult to overcome. No, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, which means he's sharing his power and authority with you. How dare we then act as if our sin is too big? We have to fight, we have to wrestle, but we have more power and authority to wrestle with that sin and to conquer it and to put it to death than you and I realize. My friends, I hope you're astounded by the work of his love and kindness towards you because that love and kindness has caused you to be brought to life, to be raised, and to be seated. And the result of those things is a new tenderness, a new taste, and a new power. A new tenderness, a new taste, and a new power. Now let me ask you a question, okay? All that is to get to this. If I'm gonna, is it fair to say that if I'm gonna, if my love is really gonna be love, then it needs to be like his love, right? Is that fair? However he defines what love looks like, that's what I need to align myself with if I'm gonna truly be able to call myself a loving person and therefore be truly mature in Christ. So let's ask ourselves the question. If his love expressed in kindness causes us to have a new tenderness, a new taste, and a new power, then that's exactly what my love should do if it's full of kindness. So let me give you, let me give you three thoughts about that. Number one, 
that new tenderness that has been created in us. How did that happen? It happened because God dealt with the deepest places in us when he took, took us out of death and into life. Would you say he dealt with the very core of our being when he caused us to be raised out of death and into life? Yes, church? Yes. So if my love is kind, it can't stay on the surface of people's lives. It's not enough to be politely nice. Please don't walk out of here and think that being kind means being polite and nice. That's not what kindness is. That's not what love full of kindness is. Love full of kindness goes to the deep places of people's lives. It refuses to stay on the surface. It pursues people deeply. It says, I want to know what's really going on. Let's, let me invite you out of the shadows and into the light. Let's talk about what's really going on in your heart. Let's use this illustration. Husbands, Pursue your wives. Let your love be full of kindness. Don't sit down on the game. Don't sit down on the couch and just turn on the game the second you get home from work. There's no games on anyway. Pursue her heart. Want to know what's in the deep places. Want to know what she's feeling and thinking and explore that with her. Wives, do the same with your husbands. My guess is you need less instruction in this. Love that's full of kindness pursues the heart of a person, the depths of a person. You with me? Let's go to the next one. If our love is full of kindness, not only is there a new tenderness because because he's gone after the deep places in us, there's also a new taste, which means that when my love is full of kindness, what it does is it points people towards what is good and beautiful and true towards what is good and beautiful and true. Which is, by the way, the why my, this is why my love can be kind and still wound. My love can be deeply kind and it can still wound. Because when someone is pursuing what is not good and beautiful and true, but is ugly and false and harmful, my love full of kindness points them back towards the good and beautiful and true. And that might wound but it's the wound of a friend which is worth its weight in gold, yes? It is the wound of love. That's why we don't have some piddly little version of kindness that is polite niceness. We have a much bigger kindness than that. And the last thing is this. It goes to the heart, deals with the deeps. It also points people towards the good and beautiful and truth. They have a taste for it and love for it. And the last thing is that it uses its authority. When my love is full of kindness, I will use whatever authority I have to help others grow in the authority God wants them to have. I don't use my authority. When my love is full of kindness, I don't use my authority to get my way. I don't use it to get what I want. I don't use it to try and manipulate. I don't, try and, I don't do it to make myself more comfortable or secure. I use my authority, whatever it is, to help others grow in the authority that God wants them to have. And that's different for different people, different positions of authority, different types of giftedness, but that's how you view your authority when your love is full of kindness. And to do that, we have to have a God-centered understanding of power and authority because when God says we are seated on thrones with Christ in the heavenly places, He has shared his authority and power with us. Has he lost one shred of his power and authority? No, he has not. He has shared it and lost none of it 
all at the same time, which is very different than the way the world thinks about power. Because the way the world thinks about power is if you have it, then I don't have it. It's a zero-sum game. There's a limited amount. If I have this much, you have that much, and I need to get more. If I need to get more, i got to take some from you. And that's not the way God's economy works when it comes to power. He shares it. He can share it and lose none of it. When you share your authority and use it to raise others up in authority, do you know that you only gain more authority? You only gain more authority because that's the way God's kingdom works when it comes to power. Don't buy the lie that if you use authority to imbue it, to share it, that then you will, you've lost it. You will only grow in it and gain it. It's a beautiful thing. You have to have that perspective in order to do that. So my love is kind. My love is kind when it pursues the depths of a person. My love is kind when it helps them see the good and the beautiful and the true and to love it. And my love is kind when it causes others to grow in the authority that God wants them to have. All right, you with me, church? It's what it means to have a love that is marked by kindness. And we know this because that's the love marked by kindness that Christ has given to us. And it should pierce our hearts. And it should rend our minds so that we spend our lives wanting to love the way that he loves. My friends, my goal for us in this series in 1 Corinthians 13 this summer is that we would become the kind of Christians who can handle some chainsaws, all right? You can handle a chainsaw. I don't have to give you the teddy bear, okay? Please don't make me give you the teddy bear at the end of this sermon series. I want to hand you all a chainsaw and say, go to work because you can handle this because you're full of love. You're full of love, and that means you are mature in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we adore you. We are astounded by what we've just read here. Who are we that you in love would express this kind of kindness to us, and yet you have, and we delight in it. We're so glad for it. We thank you, we honor you, we praise you. We turn now, Lord Jesus, our attention to singing praises to you. We've heard your word, and the right response of our hearts is to sing of your great glory and goodness. And so would you receive our praises tonight? We know they're imperfect praises. We know. But receive them. In your mercy, receive them. And rightly order our affections even as we sing. Thank you for the gift of bringing us together again tonight to sing with one another, not just in our homes, but with one another here in this space. We love you. We adore you. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Once you stand, let's sing together to close our time of worship this evening.